Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be there in a little while. We got, we got some stuff to cover before we get there. Uh, <clears throat> as you know, uh, we are working through this book uh, called Continue. Do we have any left? We have one left if anybody wants it. Um, but uh, before we get to the book, uh, there were some things I wanted to share uh, that I, I did some a little bit of reading research this week. Uh, as, as most of you know, I love numbers. I'm a number percentage kind of person. I, it helps me uh, just understand things. But <clears throat> I found out some pretty interesting things. Well, before I do that, let me, let me ask you, how important is, is the Bible? Okay, it's, it, it, I heard the word huge. Okay. Anybody else want to kind of throw in their two cents on it? Okay, it's essential. Anything else? Any other adjectives we can use to describe the Word of God? Enormous. Okay. Anything? Required. Okay. Okay. All right. More than 20% of Christians, now this is according to Pew, most of the I, I, I don't know of all of them, but, but if my memory serves me correct, all of the statistics I have for you tonight came from the Pew, Pew Research. Or, or if not, it, it, I'll tell you as I read the statistic where it came from. <clears throat> but I, I got mo- the majority of them off the Pew Research website. More than 20% of Christians believe the Bible is not accurate in all the principles it teaches. Now, 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 let let this sink in. Okay, <clears throat> let this sink in because this is critical. Twenty percent of Christians believe the Bible is not accurate in all its print the, the principles that it teaches. Well, so so in, in a practical sense. What does that mean? You can't believe everything it says. They can, they can pick and choose. You know, who's to say, well, this is accurate, but this is not? There you go. So by doing that, what does that do to the Word of God? It invalidates it, exactly. So 20%, 20% of people that call themselves Christians have totally invalidated the Word of God. Well, you know, and that's, you know, that's a legitimate question. We, you know, we, we don't know. More, more than... And this 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 is the one this is one of the ones that really really troubled me. More than well, okay, twenty two percent of Christians believe the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are different expressions of the same truth. Twenty two percent. Now, 
How important is it for Christians to read their Bible? Extremely important. Okay. Is there a difference between reading and studying your Bible? Okay. So let's spend a little bit of time here discussing the difference between reading and studying. So you tell me, what does it mean to read your Bible? Somebody. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I would agree with that kind of a leisurely, not really an in-depth thinking in depth. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, reading through the Bible in a year is reading because you're trying to get through it. You're not studying, absorbing for content. So studying would be, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that verse mean? Word mean? Okay. So like I will use Strong's and say, okay, I want to know what that word means. Okay. Okay, so. I have a definition here. Let me, let me read it so that, so that you can kind of understand the, the, the direction I'm trying to go. The, the word read means to examine and grasp the meaning of. Brandon? Okay. Oh, okay. When I when I was in college, I took a class called Pentateuch. Um, does anybody know what the Pentateuch is? Okay, it's the first five books of the Bible. It's uh, they were written by Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, <clears throat> and part of the requirement for that class during that semester was to read the Pentateuch three times. And if for those of you that know me, that was quite a chore because I read really, really slow. But what was the professor trying to do? Okay. Well, absorbing didn't happen with me. Okay. But but what is what is okay? Now think about it. What was the professor trying to do by requiring we read the Pentateuch three times in a semester? Okay, well, no, it was more than that. Okay. Well, okay, okay, what he was trying to do was trying to get us to get an overall concept of what takes place within those books. So when we read, we're not... We're not digging in. We are just we're we're just kind of getting an overall concept of of the Word of God. Now, so <clears throat> my wife is in the midst of reading through the Bible chronologically this year. Um, now, by doing that, what is she going to do? She's just going to get an overview of of Scripture, right? Have you ever stopped and thought? wait a minute, isn't there a Bible verse that says, but you can't, you don't have any idea where it comes from, you go to Google? (laughs) 
we are so spoiled. <clears throat> you know, we go to you know we 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 go to some other resource and say, okay, where's this where's this verse found? And then it's like, oh yeah yeah yeah, I read I remember reading it when I was yeah and, I, and it kind of comes back to you and so on and so forth. See, that's what reading is. Now, what about studying? Is studying as important or more important than reading? Okay, you, you say more important? Okay. <laughs> That's a trick question. <laughs> no, there are no trick questions. I, ne- I would never do that to you. <clears throat> yes. There you go. Right, exactly. And and I tend, okay, I because of my dyslexia, I tend not to read a lot because my retention is so poor. <clears throat> so I tend to study more. Uh and uh not not that I don't read because I do. I, I just it, 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 my preference is to study. And I, there have been times I've I, I know on one particular passage on, on on two verses I spent three weeks over and over and over studying and digging and and working on that. Um, <clears throat> so there, there there is no right or wrong answer to that question, and I think I think he nailed it. It it is all about the objective. You know when you're when you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, you know you're you're just kind of cruising through it. And you're getting that overview, that overall concept of of what what am I trying to accomplish? And then when we study, we are trying to dig into the Word of God. Now, one of the things that I, I want to share with you. Oh well, yeah, okay. Um, one of the things that we are trying to create, and when we uh, when we developed the two units next door, it was we're trying to develop a library, a lending library of sorts. And we're going to have some, some books in there, some resources, some different things available so that when people want to do a little bit of digging, you don't have to go out and buy a $400 comment, set of commentaries to be able to do that. that does that make sense? Uh, you'll be able to just check out one of the volumes that you need and you'll be able to go with it. So um, <clears throat> so anyway, I just thought I'd kind of throw that out there. What, what category, I don't know if this is the right terminology, I'm trying to think of a better way of saying it. I, I, I'm not, nothing's coming to me. What category or group or whatever of people did God write the Bible for? Okay, my question is this. <clears throat> Let me illustrate by, by asking another question. Did God write the Bible to the theologians of the world? I'm sorry? Okay, no. Okay. Who did God write the Bible to? 
to, to everybody. And in, 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 in uh, our world today, there, there is a lot of um, Bible teachers out there that will tell you, hey, I have a doctorate or a, you know, whatever, and, uh, you know, an MDiv or whatever. So if you need to know what the Bible really means, I'll tell you. So what, what does that automatically do to the average person trying to understand the will of God for their lives? Okay, keeps, yeah, okay, I didn't hear you, Angie. I said it, it, it would make me feel like if somebody was saying, well, I have a doctorate, that it's above me to understand. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm unable to comprehend what God has for me. Yeah, for centuries they did that, yes. But it, it is becoming very, very prevalent within new, uh, new evangelical or, or evangelical churches today. Uh, because there are so many pastors out there who have earned doctorates <clears throat> that education has become more important than anything else. I know a guy who pastors a church maybe 20 people that has an earned doctorate degree. Good for him. But I don't see what was what's the point? I don't know if you realize it, but in order to earn a doctorate, you have to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours where he could have been out ministering to people, trying to meet the needs of people. But what was he doing? He's sitting at his computer writing papers and doing all this stuff. Now, that, now, now please don't understand. Please understand. I'm not against education. Educa I have education. Education is a good thing. But this morning, in the message this morning, we talked about balance. And I think sometimes we can get overeducated and we forget. I have a quote here I want to read you that, <clears throat> to me, uh, really says a lot. And David L. Cooper said this, When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, Seek no other sense, therefore take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning. Now I'm going to read this again, okay? Because it, it, I, should have, I should have had them put it up on the screen. <clears throat> but let, let, let's break down what he says here. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense... Okay, what, what does that mean? We okay, when you read it, it says don't do X. That's what it means. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. And he says, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Don't, don't, you, you don't need to, to go and find out what did God really mean. Okay, 
This book is not a, 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 a mystery book. He didn't write it so that we have to spend our lifetime trying to figure out what he really meant. He said what he meant. Those of you that have kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, you meant to take out the trash today? No, yesterday, no, tomorrow, next week. I don't, no, no, yeah, take it out now, you idiot, go. Well, I didn't call any of my kids idiots. Never. But see, what do we do? We try to complicate everything. And the educated people of our, of our society say, oh, well, you know what? That's what it says, but it's not what it meant. Let, let me tell you what he meant. Right. He goes on to say, take every word, and this is where it gets a little complicated, but if you listen to it, it they're all pretty much saying the same thing. They're primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning. If it says all, it means all. Half of Christians, this is I, I did get this off of Pew Research. Half of Christians say casual sex defined in the survey as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. 52% of Catholics believe that. 56% of Protestants um, 54% of historically black uh, churches and uh, mainline Protestant, uh, 36%. That's a staggering statistic. Five facts, and this I got off of Pew as well. Five facts on how Americans view the Bible and other religious texts. The first one, 35% of Americans say they read the scripture at least once a week, while 45% seldom or never read the scriptures, according to a 2014 uh, data from the Religious Landscape Study. Frequency of reading scripture differs widely among religious groups. Now, let me stop right here and ask you, there are basically four different, well, yeah, four different groups mentioned here. What group do you think reads their Bible on a percentage more than any other group? Re- religious groups. Anybody? Huh? They're number two. Jehovah's Witness. Number one, 88% of Jehovah's Witness. 77% of Mormons, evangel- evangelical Protestants, that w- we would probably fall into that category. Just, we, don't we don't technically, but they think we do. Um, 63%. That's, 
That's one time a week or more. Uh, Protestant, uh, black Protestant, historically black Protestant churches, 61%. This is something that I, it really kind of blew me away. 65% of Jews say they never, uh, never or seldom read the scriptures. I, I just kind of went, whoa. Okay, number two. Three quarters of Christians say they believe the Bible is the word of God. 83% of Muslims say the Quran is the Word of God. Fewer than half, or exactly 37% of Jews, say that they view the, the Torah as the Word of God. See, we have people saying that they believe the Word of God, but then they don't read it. Number three, Christians who make up the majority of U.S. adults, 71%, are divided over how to interpret the Bible. 39% of Christians say the Bible text is the Word of God and should be taken literally. That's only 39%, 36% say it should be interpreted literally or expressed another or no opinion. Yeah, 36% say it should not, oh, I missed the word not, I'm sorry. It should not be interpreted literally. So 39% say it is literally the Word of God. 36% say it is not literally the Word of God. Uh, 18% of Christians view the Bible as written by men and not God. How dangerous is that? In 2014... 42% of Christians said reading the Bible or other religious material is an essential part of what being a Christian means personally. That's 42%. 37% say reading the Bible is important but not essential to being a Christian. In other words, I can bring my Bible to church on Sunday and I get what I need. 21% say reading the Bible is not important at all to their Christian identity. Number five, 71% of Americans know the Bible teaches that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Boy, that makes me feel good. A similar percentage know that Moses was the biblical figure who led <clears throat> the Exodus out of Egypt. I, I personally give credit to Charlton Heston for that one. Okay, just saying. <clears throat> well, that's such a good movie. I mean, you know. 63%. Now get this. 63% of Christians could not, uh, or, or excuse me, could identify Genesis as the first book of the Bible.
but fewer than half, 45% of adults could name the four Gospels. Less than half of Christians in America today can tell you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. And 39% identified Job as a biblical figure known for remaining obedient to God. Only, only 39% could identify Job as a biblical figure. We have a big problem. Religious, or, or excuse me, regarding our religious te uh, text, four in ten Americans knew that Jesus appeared to the uh, to the followers uh, in the Americas, according to the Book of Mormons. Four in ten realized that. That's almost that's more than knew that Job was in the Bible. 54% correctly named the Quran as the book of Islam. Just some statistics for you to kind of help you understand. We as a we as a as a people group have missed the target when it comes to this book that we say is so precious. We, we don't spend time in it. We don't know it. <clears throat> if we are going to make an impact in our world today, we need to get into this book. Because it's this book that changes lives. It's not the philosophies of men. It's not... It's not my my teachings is not going to be anything that I do. It is this book that's going to change lives. Any any questions before we before we uh, go to the book? Yes, ma'am. I have I have study Bibles. Um, the Bible that I preach out of is not a study Bible. It's just it's just a straight up Bible. The reason I do that is because it's smaller and it's it's less distracting for me uh, as I, when I'm preaching. Uh, but I I have a study Bible. We have several study Bibles for sale. Uh, I prefer when you are studying uh, that you use a study Bible just because the tools are there. Uh, they're handy. Uh, you know, you're paying the author of that study Bible to have already done all the hard work. <laughs> um, I, I personally like uh, the, the Life Application Study Bible. Uh, it's got some really cool tools in it. Uh, my wife uses the Thompson Chain Study Bible. Um, yeah, a little bit more work. The the, uh, the Life Application is is uh, a little a little more user friendly, if you would. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think study Bibles are, are great. Absolutely, absolutely. Anybody else? Oh yeah, uh, Bob's got the Ryrie. 
Again, that's a <clears throat> that's an older one that it is not is quite as user friendly, but but has some really really good re reference information there. Yes, sir. Um, like I, I said at the beginning, this is a lot of years. I'm finally. I have something I found at home the other day back at my youth, back in Catholic school, and explain this to me, why this is the Bible. Right, yes, sir. I have I have something that says Old and New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, miss, I, I didn't take notes in the eighth grade, and I missed something, but it's like, I feel like at my age, I'm starting over with catechism. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I... I well, the, 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 the difference between the Old and the New Testament, just to, to put it simply, is the Old Testament is, starts at the creation of, of, of time, mm -hmm. and, it, and it goes to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, well, I, I'm just saying, Sim, I'm, I'm not, there's, a, there's more to it than that, but you know, basically the Old Testament is pre- Jesus Christ, and the New Testament is post-Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So that's the difference, simply put, that's the difference between the two books. That makes about, yeah, it makes sense. It makes about as much sense as I told you. You know, I worked the drive-through at the Last Supper. <laughs> oh. Any, anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, we're going to be on page nine of our study, uh, of the study book that we're using, page nine. Uh, so uh, we're going to start at the top. Uh, I gave you this blank last week, but we're going to we're going to start here. Um, <clears throat> so uh, God specifically told people to copy His word. Um, uh, and we talked about the fathers in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 and 9. Uh, and, th and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, <clears throat> and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, and they shall uh, be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gate. So God told fathers to repeat or rewrite the word of God. Huh? Yeah, or re, re, well, yeah, but to write it, yes. Okay, and then the, and that's where we ended last week. Um, he also told priests and kings to do the same thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, the Levites. Now, how much different do you think Washington, D.C. would look if one of the requirements for president was to re 
or, or not <laughs> rewrite, I'm, I did it again, but to copy by hand the Word of God. You think things would be a little different? Absolutely. But it was required of a king of Israel to do so. So, uh, continue reading here. In the Old Testament uh, times, God used the home or the fathers, the government, kings, the religion, uh, and religion, priests, to multiply copies of his word for the next generation. Now, one of the things that my wife and I have done, I think since we've been married, is if you ever come to our house, you will see multiple scripture on the walls of our house. And we do that on purpose. Uh, we do that for us, but we, do, we did that for our kids. This, this book needs to be taught all the time. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 7 and 9, when, the, when thou uh, sittest in thy house, when they walk in the way, when thou layest down, when thou risest up. In other words, every opportunity you have to share the word of God with your kids, you should do it. Every, every opportunity. Uh, my, again, I, I think I talked about this last week. My wife was a whole lot better at this than I was, but she could find ways of just about any scenario you can come up with, she would have a way to turn it back to Scripture to teach our kids some biblical principle. I, I used to sit there and think, dude, I like that. But, you know, she, you know, she's just a little more creative that way. But everything in our lives needs to revolve around this book. Yeah, your next blank here. Uh, in the New Testament, God has chosen to use the church to preserve his word. Consider this process. Uh, God's word is truth. Next blank. God's word is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Are we having technical difficulties? Yeah, I don't know why it <laughs> okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> the next blank. The church is the pillar in the ground of truth. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Who, uh, uh, excuse me, those who have been saved are instructed to teach what has been preserved to them. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Now, what is that, that those two verses, we, we have a, We call those two words something. Anybody know what they are? Okay, the Great Commission. Um, uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, It is also known 
as Jesus' last command on earth. As he was getting ready to ascend, this is the last thing that he told his disciples. His last command, I, I, I love this quote, I heard it many years ago, but his last command should be our top priority. The Great Commission. Historically, next blank, historically, there is evidence that God has preserved his word. There are over 5,000 preserved manuscripts of the New Testament uh, alone, all uh, tediously copied with the utmost care, dating all the way back to approximately A.D. 130. This is more evidence uh, than any secular author, uh, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, If you want to read this, you you can read it later. But there is plenty of evidence that God was capable and is capable of preserving his word to every generation. Because isn't, is that not a promise that he gave us? You next blank here. God's word has not only been preserved through copies, but it has been translated into thousands of languages. I have a a friend, well, we supported a missionary for a while, um, but because of physical issues, he he had to come home. Um, But he was, he he had gone, uh, I don't know if you remember him, uh, they had gone to uh, uh, Ponape to uh, translate the Bible into Ponapean language. And uh, once they got over there, he, his, his health declined and he had to come home. Um, but <clears throat> the Bible has been um, translated into thousands of languages. And, and on the uh, island of Papua New Guinea, back in the, well, it would be post-World War II, so back in the, it started in the in the 50s and 60s and and even into current day. Uh, missionaries by by the droves went to Papua New Guinea to evangelize the 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 the, the tribal people of the uh, of the of the country. And about five or six years ago, one of the government government officials. Uh, who had gotten saved recognized the value of the and the power of the Word of God in the lives of individuals, and he approached BIMI, who uh, we support many missionaries through BIMI. Uh, this government official contacted BIMI and asked them if they could provide a Bible to every grade school kid in the country. That, that's incredible. They're, they're still working on it, but they started at the high school level and they're, and they're working their way down. And they're, can you, how many millions of Bibles have been passed out? How many lives are being changed because of that? that that's just an incredible, incredible thing. Uh, the next paragraph is um, the author of this book uh, talks about um, why he uses the King James Version and it goes back to the appendix in the back. So if you want to read that, you can do that later. 
<clears throat> but uh, the next section here, God uses the Bible today. And this is, this is really important. Just because the, the Bible has been around for, for all this time doesn't mean it is any less important today than it was 500 years ago or, or 2,000 years ago. The Bible is as, is as important today as it has ever been. God has recorded his word through human authors and preserved it for us through, uh, through the centuries, but that's not where it stops. The word of God is, has power in our lives today. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit guides us. And, and those of you that are coming on Wednesday night, we, we, we're in the midst of studying about the Holy Spirit, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but <clears throat> it's important that we understand. Um, uh, and and he, he talks about here in another lesson, uh, he's going he's gonna to cover the Holy Spirit and, and all that in another lesson. But I had you turn to second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's read verses 12 to 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. <clears throat> which things also we speak not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the, the the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned have you ever tried to talk to an unsafe person about the bible and they look like they look at you like you have four heads. <laughs> this is why. Because this book is a spiritual book. This book is a living book. And an unsaved person cannot understand it. Now, can a, can an unsaved person understand it well enough to be saved? Absolutely they can. But they're not going to understand the principles that God lays forth for, for a believer to live. They're not going to understand it. It's going to be foolishness to them. Turn over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. <clears throat> and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus Christ. The Bible, next blank here, the Bible tells us 
what is true. Look over at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Bible, the Bible tells us, okay, this is your next point. The Bible tells us uh, how the church should operate. We believe the Bible, not tradition or personal preference, should be our final authority for what we believe uh, and what we practice. Okay, and then he, he talks about later later in the book, he's going to talk more about that. You know, one of the things that I, that I have been really, really convicted about uh, as, as we have approached um, uh, 2021, probably back maybe in August, maybe, maybe a little after, I don't know, somewhere in there, I started being challenged in my thinking not in the doctrine of Grace Baptist Church, but in the practice of grace. Why do we do what we do? You know, that's why, uh, you know, those of you, you know, that's why we've kind of changed how we do things on Sunday nights. Um, You know, uh, prior to this, you know, we come in and, uh, you know, the the Sunday night service looked just like the Sunday morning service. You know, the the only difference is I wish you guys would interact a little more, okay? Um, I, I, I like the interaction. It, it, it helps me, okay? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, my wife and I have, well, I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. My wife has spent a, a good bit of time over the last several uh, months um, doing some research and trying to determine, you know, where certain... Um, uh, traditions uh, came from. Uh, one of one of the criticisms, and it's really not—I shouldn't say criticism—but one of the things that Grace Baptist Church has been criticized for over the last 12 years is the fact we've never had Sunday school. And <clears throat> you know, uh, 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 you know, as a pastor, I've taken some heat over that. But the, the reason that we don't we've 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 never had Sunday school is because logistically it would be really hard for us logistically to have Sunday school and you know again it would just look like another church service instead of what Sunday school is supposed to be. But then but then we we started doing some research. How many of you have any idea when Sunday school started? Anybody? Okay. <clears throat> no. When when did it start? She she knows. It it, it, it started like 100 years ago. Yeah, right about 100 years ago. And what Sunday school started as was an outreach to the poor uneducated kids in the the large cities. And they would literally teach them English and math. And, but they would use the Bible to do it. 
but it was literally school. So what we call Sunday school today looks nothing like what it started as. So why do we do it? Because we've always done it that way. Every Baptist church has to have Sunday school. Not ours. <laughs> you know, you know and, and the reality is this. As the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, I'm going to say this, and hopefully, and I know I'm being recorded. I am not going to do anything at Grace Baptist Church just because everybody else does it. When God says, you need to do this, we'll do it. And only then. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yes! Me and Ed, yes. All right. <clears throat> uh, uh, okay. We, we, we just don't have time to go any further. Um, well, but I've already been going for... Okay, keep going. Okay, well, if you want to get up and leave, you can just get up and leave. Okay, we're going <clears> to... <throat> wow, that's, that's true, yeah. Okay, uh, the Bible instructs us in every area of life. Now, can you honestly, can you think of an area of life that the Bible does not cover? I can. Anybody? You show me, show me in the Bible where it says not to smoke cigarettes. I don't. Okay, okay. Yes. Okay, your body is the temple. Okay, so so you know, as a pastor, I hear all kinds of things. Okay, and. I, you know, you, you, you know, I can't think of it right off the top of my head, but recently somebody told me something, and I just went, "Man, I don't have an answer for that." <laughs> but it was something like, "Well, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, um, driving over the speed limits against the law." You know, I'm like, "Yeah, okay, you're right." <laughs> you know, obey the authorities, but. Yeah, you know, I mean, but people can come up with some of the craziest things. But the reality is this. If you've got a problem in your life, this book has the answer. It's that simple. Yeah, there, there you go. It's just whether or not you want to listen to it. <clears throat> okay, next point. Uh, the Word of God brings growth. Turn over to First Peter. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the, uh, <clears throat> of the word that ye may grow thereby. 
This is an incredible word picture that God gives us here. Our attitude toward this book ought to be that of, a, of an infant starving to death. Okay? <laughs> now, those of you that are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Every, every infant is going to starve to death, right? <laughs> or at least they think they are. Okay? Because what do they do? <laughs> and they get so worked up, and as soon as you stick that bottle or whatever in their mouth, pow. The breast or the bottle? Yeah, the breast or the bottle. Okay. What, what do they do? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live. I'm going to live. I'm, I'm okay. You know? But see, that, that desire is the picture that God gives us that we should have for the Word of God. The Word of God gives us God's promises. Turn over to 2 Peter. <clears throat> and this is one of the this is one of the things that I I, I love about the Bible probably more than anything is the fact that God is constantly reminding us of his promises. Second Peter chapter one and verse four. Whereby are you uh, uh, are, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It is the promises of God. There, there have been many days that that is the only thing that I've had to hold on to. And I think many of you would agree. The promises. The Word of God helps us resist temptation. Turn over to Psalm. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 119. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, now, now let's talk about this for a second. Well, what do you think it means when it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? What, what do you think that that means? Okay, you can't all talk at one time. I can't hear you. Okay, Brandon? Okay, bury it deep in your heart. Okay, anybody else? Yes. Okay, okay, yes. Okay, those are all right, but that's not what... No, but... Okay, okay. You're all right, but you're missing... I believe the whole point is to keep us from sin. Now, I don't know about you, okay? I can only tell you how God has dealt with me in my life. But there have been many times that I have gone to do something and God brings back in my mind a verse. And it prevents me 
from doing what I was getting ready to do. Because I hid it in my heart. I buried it deep in my heart. Look at the verse again. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It works both ways. It works when you, when you hide it in your heart, you meditate on it, you bury it deep in your heart, you can recall it, and you can share it with people. <clears throat> but it is also something that God can use to keep you out of trouble, that I might not sin against thee. <clears throat> The Word of God has power to change our lives. <clears throat> Turn over to Hebrews. Back to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, not Titus. What, what happened? I was just in Hebrews. There, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, it's the word of God that penetrates and can change, change lives. It's not, again, it's not the philosophies of men. It is, it, is, it is the Word of God that changes lives. Now, can, can the philosophies of men help people temporarily? Absolutely it can. But it's never going to change your life. The Word of God is the only thing that can do that. <clears throat> Yes, living, yes, yes, yeah. Okay? <clears throat> we are responsible to read, study, and what do you think? Oh, he already put it up. <laughs> Obey. I hate that four-letter word, the Bible. Turn over to Second Timothy. Okay, <clears throat> so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the very first verse I ever memorized. And those of you, your little people down in Awana are memorizing this verse. How, how many of you know this verse? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Uh, this, it's the Awana theme verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
2 Timothy 2.15. And then Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua is in the Old Testament. The way I remember things like that is, <clears throat> who did who did Joshua take over for? Moses. So it comes after Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's how I that, that it's just that's how I have to do it. <clears throat> Joshua chapter one, in verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For when thou, uh, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now I have a question for you. At the very beginning of this verse, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What does that mean? Know it inside out. Okay, so does that mean that I am supposed to absorb all of this and not share it with anybody? Okay, let me, let me give you a grammatical thing here. Uh, just so that you know, I, I have it written in the side the sidebar of my of my notes here, so I, I don't forget this. But the, the the word not there in Hebrew is a double negative. So what is a double negative? It's the it means the opposite. Because it's a double negative, you know, my mom she used to I you know I ain't got none. You know, well, what does that mean? That means I have some. Okay, it means the opposite. So when you're reading this, you have to remember the, the Hebrew word there is a double negative. So the, this book of the law shall depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt, huh? It's a conditional promise. For then thou shalt make thy way uh, <clears throat> prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The word of God we are responsible to read, study, and obey. And we are done for tonight. Uh, those of you that have the book, uh, we have a couple of blanks here. Let me give those to you very quickly, and then we'll be done. Um, uh, first, determine that you are committed to obey whatsoever or uh, whatever is plainly revealed in Scripture. <clears throat> plainly revealed in Scripture. Uh, and then second, determine that you will make God's word a regular part of your of your life, which is absolutely important. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. I'm so thankful.
that you have done so much in my life.